Internet Archive. The Internet Archive. Internet Archive. The Internet Archive. Changing how people store and transmit knowledge. The moon belongs to everyone. The best things in life are free. The stars belong to everyone. They gleam there for you. Hello and welcome to the Internet Archive Podcast. I'm Simone Elias and I've been in media and podcasting for over three years now. As for the podcast, I've partnered with Internet Archive for an interview series with the fantastic people who work here to discuss their careers, work, and favorite collections and stories. You'll learn why public knowledge is so necessary and why these people have devoted their careers to keeping the past alive. Today, I interviewed Wendy Hanamura, who talked about the on the documentary Honor Bound and the Japanese incarceration collections. It was a really insightful interview and I hope you enjoy it. It's a lot better quality than last week too. See you next week. So my name is Wendy Hanamura and I'm the director of partnerships, but I've always been a storyteller storyteller for change. And my background is in media. I was a television correspondent. I also did radio at the time when CBS television and radio was together. I uh, started my journalism career at Time Magazine where I was a researcher, reporter, and a photo editor. Uh, So over the years, I've always been telling stories for social change. How did you get to the archive? What led you there? About nine years ago, I had an epiphany that I wanted to have more impact. And I thought, well, okay, I have to live in San Francisco because my family's here, my children are here. I have this certain set of skills where I am a storyteller for social change. And if I want to have impact, San Francisco is not the media capital of the world, but it is the tech capital of the world. At the same time, I didn't want to work for for for-profit tech. I wanted to use tech for 100% social good. And when you look in San Francisco, there are really only three large nonprofit tech entities, Wikipedia, Internet Archive, and Mozilla. So I thought, oh, okay, well, that narrows my search. And I was able to come and meet Brewster and... uh, Brewster had a quirky way of hiring. At a certain point, he said to his staff, let's just bring in the best people. Let's let's keep going. Brewster said, let's just bring in the best people you ever worked with. And I was lucky. I had a friend here, Roger McDonald, television director. He said, oh, 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 I know somebody who'd be so great. And they brought me in and the rest is history. So what is that? What is that? Yeah. It's somebody um, moving things out in the Got entryway. It. So I, I think this mic is pretty directional. Yeah. So I think you're going to be okay. I don't think we're going to hear that too okay, much. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, so my next question is the digital library that you created. If yeah. you'd like, we could move to a different interior room. True. Let's keep trying. Yes. But maybe after my interview, we could move you to a quieter room. Yes, true. Okay. So my next question is, 
how did you create this Japanese American library? What is it in it and um, why is it so important? Well, at the Internet Archive, they always encourage you to have side projects, passion projects, uh, things that really light you up. And so my, I'm a Japanese American sansei. Oh, we're recording an interview in here. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay, okay because I have, um, wait, what's her name? I have Elizabeth, who's an audio editor, and she can edit it out. Okay. Well, why don't I start over? Yeah. Um, at the Internet Archive, they always encourage you to have passion projects, things that just light you up. I'm a sansei, a third-generation Japanese-American. And in 1942, my entire family, my grandparents, my mother, my uncles and aunts, everyone except my father, who was drafted to serve in the US Army, they were all incarcerated in what many people call internment camps in uh, the central part of the US. And, you know, we're hitting a moment called a saculum. A saculum is a unit of time when everyone who has experienced a certain event is gone. They've died. So my mother, who was 14 when she was incarcerated in Japanese American concentration camps in the US, she's now 95 years old. So I thought, we need to preserve this story. We need to make sure that the scholarship, the books um, are preserved and shared. So I worked with a project called Densho to buy the best books about the Japanese American tournament. We digitized them and we put them up to share with scholars and, and other people around the world. That's incredible, I love that. Um, I also, my grandparents were um, in the Holocaust and so mm -hmm. I was able to interview someone who had gone through that and everybody's dying too. So it was, yeah. it's just really great that we have these tools now. Yeah, not only do we have the books of the Japanese American incarceration in the archive, we also have oral histories and films and photographs. Yeah. Um, what is the documentary you made, Honor Bound? What is that about and what was the process of creating it? Well, one of the artifacts that is in the Internet Archive is a documentary I did in 1995 called Honor Bound, A Personal Journey. And it was the very personal story of a daughter capturing her father's wartime experiences. So on the 50th anniversary of the greatest battles of the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, that was my father's all Japanese American unit, uh, I went back with his buddies and my father to Europe, to France and Italy, where they fought some of the most fierce and ruinous battles of World War II. So Honor Bound is the story of a daughter capturing her father's experiences and sharing it. And now it's up in the Internet Archive for anyone who wants to, to view. Yes. Um, so what are some of your favorite books in the collection that you have read and loved? There are two books that I would call out. One is called Executive Order 9066, and it's actually a book of photographs taken by wartime photographers like Dorothea Lange and Ansel Adams. 
It was put together by UC Berkeley for a big exhibit. And I stumbled upon this book in the Glenview Public Library when I was in elementary school. And it just blew my mind to see these images. So it's out of print, it's very hard to find. So we have a copy that's been digitized and put into the Internet Archive. The other book I would point people to is a famous book by John Okada called No-No Boy. And a lot of people think that um, when Japanese Americans were put in these prison camps, that everyone went peaceably and it was very um, much something that uh, Japanese Americans did willingly. But actually it was the cause of course of much turmoil. And so um, No No Boy is the story of a young man put into one of these camps who's given this loyalty test. We all, they, we all had to take this loyalty test. And instead, when asked, will you revoke any allegiance to the emperor? Will you serve in the US Army? He said, hell no, 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 no boy. And it's the story of his very righteous an understandable protest. Um, so what has your career in media been? What are some of the other things that you've done? Yeah, that's a good question. It's such a long career because I'm you can old. Talk, you can talk about kind of everything. It's okay. Not, there's no time limit. Okay. Well, my first job out of college was at Time Magazine in New York. And I was a researcher reporter and a photo editor and photographers from all over the world would be under assignment from time and they would send back their images to us in the photo editing department and we would be the ones who would look at all the images by James Knockway shot in some war zone and we would pick the images for the magazine. Uh, I was also a reporter in the world section where we would be researching and reporting stories like um, the rise of tyrannical leadership in Syria and other things. So that's where I started. But eventually I, uh, I had a specialty in Japan because I had been an East Asian studies major as well as a film and architecture major, double major. So um, there was a certain point in the late 80s in which Japan was becoming dominant. There were all these books like Japan is number one. And during that time, the US news media felt they really needed to have a strong presence in Japan. So I was recruited to go live and work as a foreign correspondent and producer in Tokyo for a show that's no longer on the air called World Monitor, um, but it was on the Discovery Channel. That was one of the best jobs ever because they would send me and my crew uh, to places all over the, all over East Asia, you know, um, covering stories at length. And in the news, in television news, your standard story is about a minute 30, but at World Monitor, we were given three minutes, seven minutes, 10 minutes sometimes, which is kind of an eternity in television news. But I went back and I was a, a CBS reporter here in San Francisco. I went to PBS and I worked for KQED, producing documentaries and series. So I, I did a lot of different things. My career though, took me to more and more mission-driven media organizations. 
And eventually for about a decade, I helped to lead a very progressive alternative television network on Dish and DirecTV called Link TV. And uh, you know, it was super liberal. And we would have on these speakers who no one had heard of before. Like people used to always say to me, Wendy, why do you keep putting on that old guy from Vermont? And I said, Bernie Sanders is pretty cool. You should listen to him. Or we would put on Elizabeth Warren before she was famous. And they would say, why do you always have that woman uh, economist? And we'd say, you know, you should really listen to her. She's got some radical but interesting things to say. And uh, in many cases, we were ahead of the game. You know, we showed Al Gore's climate change talk before anyone else did. That's incredible. I love all of the things that you did. Um, so what is the importance of public knowledge with this Japanese American collection and what are you hoping that it does for people? Well, the Internet Archive is so important because it is a digital library for everyone. There are many parts of the world where we get letters from scholars, say in Ethiopia, saying, you know, you are my university library. You are my library. So I think a library and a people are only as good as the knowledge that they have access to. And you know, I think today, People think, oh, the internet's so vast. If you need anything, you can find it online. But it's really simply not true. There's so much that has not made it from the physical realm into the digital realm. And that's where the Internet Archive comes in. It tries to hoover up knowledge before it disappears from the face of the earth and digitize it and preserve it. Our guarantee to you is something called lifetime file maintenance. For a very, very long time, we're gonna take whatever media is in the Internet Archive and we're gonna transcode it, transcode it to uh, the new formats. Today, when we put video, for instance, in the Internet Archive, it's MPEG-4. But in five years, it's not gonna be that format anymore. So we're gonna have to take the millions of hours of video and transcode it to whatever the new format is. And that's something the Internet Archive is great at. We're, we're engineers at heart, but with archivists' mentality. So can you, will you tell me the question one more time? Oh, yes. What are you hoping with the Japanese collection um, about incarceration? What are you hoping it does for people who don't know a lot about that and have, could learn from Today, if you're interested in the experience of my grandparents and my parents and the Japanese American incarceration, most people Google it and then it takes them to Wikipedia. So Wikipedia is just the first page of that history. There have been hundreds and hundreds of studies and books. And so one of the things that we did in my project was all of the footnotes in the Wikipedia articles now link to the actual book, which is in the Internet Archive. So if you click that link, it'll take you to the original source. So my hope is that when we reach the saculum of this event, when everybody who ever experienced the Japanese American incarceration is dead and gone, 
that there will still be a public record. There'll be books, there'll be audio, there'll be videos that people can go back and see and say, ah, this is what happened. Even today, only 75 years since this occurred, there are already people denying that it even happened. You've seen that in the Holocaust. There's so many Holocaust yeah. deniers. Well, there are already Japanese American incarceration deniers also. So some people just don't know what happened because they were never taught it in the, their school years. Some people don't believe it. They don't believe that the US could take an entire community of US citizens and put them behind barbed wire. And I want there to be a record that no, this happened because we should never let this happen again. So that was really great. I love that. Um, so what is the current state of the collection? Because the lawsuit might have affected it. How are you going to keep it there? And what exactly would the lawsuit do to it? Right now, the work that Japanese Americans and Densho and I did is very much in jeopardy because we got the books, we bought them, we digitized them, we made them available to the public. But in the court case, there was a stipulation that books that are available commercially online somewhere cannot be in the Internet Archive. So the Internet Archive is going to have to figure out, and it's six million books, which ones can stay up and which ones cannot stay up. Now, for the Japanese American collection, many, many of those books are out of print. They never made it into the commercial realm. But figuring that out book by book is going to be very difficult. And we have a small staff of about 100 people. So I really don't know what's going to happen. I guess I can take some solace in the fact that the books will remain in the archive, even if people can't access them. So someday, 70 years from now, when they are in the public domain, people will be able to reach them. But it seems silly, doesn't it, that this critical knowledge should remain locked up in servers inaccessible to people for the next 70 years. It, it's honestly, it's a damn shame. Yeah, totally. Well, that's the end of my questions. Good. I want to thank you so much for um, doing this and all of your answers were incredible. And I love the work that you've done. So thank you. Thank you. You know, can I um, give you a few tips? Because this is what I do for a living. <laughs> 